This monologue is about social class in an inspector cause. Before we start looking at social class within the play and how it operates as a key theme, it is important to establish what we mean by the term social class. Now, social class refers to divisions in society based on economic and social status. People in the same social class typically share a similar level of wealth, educational achievement, type of job and income. It can be seen as a form of hierarchy, such as the feudal system in the Middle Ages, where the wealthiest citizens reside at the top of the pyramid. Looking back in history, the class system in England during the first decade of the 20th century was divided into the upper, middle and working classes. Whilst today we still have elements of this class system, and you may be familiar with these terms, it is worth noting that such rigid boundaries have blurred significantly in recent history since the Second World War, and some sociologists have produced different definitions of what it is to be working or middle class, and state that there are actually more subdivisions of class than just these three. There is also a greater sense in Britain today of there being the prospect of social mobility. But let's delve back into the past and look at the world of the play. As you know, J.B. Priestley wrote the play in 1945, but chose to set it in Edwardian Britain, specifically 1912. This was a deliberate choice because the date represented an era when all was very different from the time he was writing. Before World War II, Britain was divided by rigid class boundaries. Two such classes were the wealthy land and factory owners and the poor workers. The war helped bring these two classes closer together and rationing meant that people of all classes were eating and even dressing the same. The war effort also meant that people from all classes were mixing together. This was certainly not the case beforehand. Yet despite this apparent progress, old attitudes and snobbery still seemed to exist in some parts of society. In writing his play, Priestley wanted to highlight that inequality between the classes still existed, and that the upper classes looked down upon the working class in a post-war Britain. The play therefore seems to pose the question, do we return back to the values of the Edwardian era, or do we move forward? Priestley was a socialist, and wanted to present the idea that society will only work if we work together and are responsible for each other. His message was that we should look out for each other, regardless of class, and that we shouldn't just look down on people or judge them as unworthy just because they had a lower social class than us. He uses the character of the inspector to present this, whilst characters like Mr and Mrs Berlin represent the entrenched selfish views of the upper classes. Okay, now we should have a clearer idea about the concept of social class and how it relates to the play. It's time now to delve in and explore it in greater detail. Let's begin at the beginning and work from there. As you know, the play starts with lengthy stage directions, which describe the setting of the play, the Berlin household, and reveal key facets of information about the characters. Priestley refers to the property as a fairly large suburban house, with good solid furniture of the period. Such descriptions reveal the wealth of the Berlins, and establish them as upper middle class. More tellingly is a reference to Edna, the parlourmaid, whose presence confirms the Berlin status as a prosperous household. Whilst Edna only appears sporadically throughout the play, her character serves as a reminder of the Berlin's wealth and the presence of the lower class within their lives, albeit as something that they can control. Interestingly though, there can be seen to be a social division even within the family dynamic. Mrs Berlin is introduced as her husband's social superior, a description which immediately shows that she is married beneath her status. It is also clear that Gerald is of a higher class than Sheila, 
so already the stage is set for the play to be hugely focused on ideas of social class. Interestingly, Mrs Sybil Berlin makes her social superiority clear from the very early action of the play as well. She is seen to critique her husband when he compliments the cook, something only a guest was supposed to do at a dinner party, and remarks, Arthur, you're not supposed to say such things. She's reminding her husband how he is supposed to act in this situation. She herself is aware of upper-class etiquette as a result of her upbringing, whereas her husband is only middle-class and has had to work his way up. She is a woman deeply concerned with her family's reputation. She couldn't bear for it to be tarnished by what she deems inappropriate behaviour, hence she pulls up her husband on his etiquette, and Sheila on her language when she describes Eric as squiffy. Mrs Berling can't bear her daughter to be using such colloquial language, words that she would see as lower-class slang and makes her feelings known straight away, exclaiming, What an expression, Sheila! Really, the things you girls pick up these days. With a wife like his, it's no wonder that Mr Arthur Berlin is acutely aware of his social position. Despite being a successful businessman, he ultimately craves a position in society like that of his spouse. But this prospect is now in sight. Sheila and Gerald's engagement is a dream come true for him, as he mentions frequently due to the Croft's high social status. When he talks about treating Gerald as one of the family and confides in him that he's just the kind of son-in-law I always wanted, it is clear that he thinks that this marriage will cement his social position and will ensure that the aristocracy will fully respect him now. He knows, however, that Gerald's family may view the marriage less favourably. Indeed, he says, I have an idea that your mother, Lady Croft, while she doesn't object to my girl, feels that you might have done better for yourself socially to Gerald in private. Acknowledging this fact obviously stings Mr Berlin's pride a bit, which is why he is keen to broadcast the fact that he is tipped for a knighthood, hoping that this event may appeal to the Croft's sensibilities. Again, we can see that this is an individual who is preoccupied by social class, but unlike his wife, this stems from a feeling of not truly belonging or being respected in his current position. He believes he can climb further up the class ladder, which is ironic as this relaxed approach to social class isn't held when it comes to the working class. When speaking to Gerald and Eric over cigars, Berlin expresses disdain for the fact that he, as a rich man, is expected to look out for others beneath him. He rejects the idea that we're all in it together, as it were, expressing outrage at the suggestion of community and the notion of being all mixed up together like bees in a hive. He sees himself as better than the working class and doesn't think people from different classes should mix. It is as he's partway through this arrogant speech that who should call at the door but the inspector, who proceeds to illustrate exactly why we should look out for each other. Ghoul's arrival is symbolically announced by Edna, and his entrance immediately interrupts the status quo as he disturbs the gathering and makes his presence felt. Indeed, his initial strange direction says that he creates at once an impression of massiveness, solidarity and purposefulness. He looms over the Berlins, not caring about their position in society. That is made abundantly clear when he pays no regard to Mr Berlin's assertion that he was once Lord Mayor and knows the Brumley police officers pretty well. Inspector Ghoul is not a man to be intimidated by social convention and propriety. He has a moral duty to perform. Upon hearing about the focus of the inspector's business, Arthur superficially expresses concern when he says, yes, yes, horrid business, but immediately detaches himself from the situation. It is nothing to do with him and his opinion, so he doesn't see why the inspector is here. This shows how women in the lower or working class meant nothing to the upper class. 
he does not seem to be at all bothered about what has happened to this girl and finds it all a bit of a nuisance. He maintains this ambivalent attitude throughout the revelation that Eva Smith both worked for him and was dismissed by him, thoroughly disconnecting himself from any wrongdoing and justifying his behaviour. He even has the arrogance to critique Ghoul's tone as the inspector continues his line of inquiry, showing that he doesn't appreciate the fact that his social status is not being deferred to during this interrogation. Ghoul, however, doesn't concern himself with the supposed superiority of others. He cuts through the pretensions of social class to get justice. Throughout the exchange with the inspector, Arthur shows a flagrant disregard for the working class employees who work in his factory. He seems affronted that Eva Smith even dared to ask for a raise, and so insists that she had to go. Such an attitude communicates a lack of empathy for the hardships of the working classes. It reflects his selfish capitalist mindset. He's only concerned with keeping labour costs down, not the well-being of his staff and fair pay. He couldn't give in to the workers' demands, otherwise they'd be asking for more before long, he asserts. But as the inspector points out, it's better to ask for the earth than to take it. Here, Ghoul is explaining that the factory workers had the right to ask for a better life and also suggests that the upper class is always taking from others. Eric at this point shows sympathy for Eva and the other workers, pointing out that the business tries for the highest possible prices, so why shouldn't the workers try for higher wages? He is here drawing parallels with his own class and the working class, whilst at the same time revealing the hypocrisy of the upper class. Unfortunately, his father fails to see the similarity. The interrogation of Mr. Berlin completed, albeit with no admission of guilt, Ghoul turns his attention to his next subject, Sheila, whilst navigating the fact that others are trying to interrupt his sequencing of events. He firmly tells Eric that he cannot go to bed, which results in Gerald challenging the inspector on his manner, choosing to remind him that we're respectable citizens and not criminals. Ghoul's response here is intriguing, as he observes, sometimes there isn't as much difference as you think. The inspector is inferring here that criminality exists in everyone and suggests that sometimes the higher classes get away with a lot of their actions. Of course, as we know from the events of the play, that is right. Money seems to be able to absolve people from responsibility. It also allows people to unfairly exert control on those less fortunate than themselves, something that Sheila knows all too well, having used her family name to have either Smith dismissed from Millwoods with very little effort. The status of Sheila's family completely supersedes the fact that the working class Eva Smith has done nothing wrong. The shop immediately defers to its high class customer. Eva has no chance of challenging such an individual. As the inspector observes to Sheila, you use the power you had as a daughter of a good customer and also of a man well known in the town to punish the girl. Sheila is well acquainted with the advantages that social class give you and is initially at least happy to use them. She is, though, a character that shows empathy for the working class and by proxy Eva Smith, which is seen earlier when she challenges her father on his references to workers as cheap labour. She does also express great regret and remorse for her behaviour at Millwoods and takes the inspector's investigation seriously, much to the chagrin of her mother, who is astonished by her behaviour and remarks that he has made a great impression on her. His reply that we often do on the young ones, they're more impressionable, refers to Priestley's observation that the younger generation are more able to change their views, being more socialist than the older generation. 
Indeed, nothing is going to change Mrs. Berlin's mind about social class. From the very outset of her encounter with the inspector, she is as cold and unfeeling as was indicated in her opening stage directions. She is also seen to show no shame in revealing her class snobbery, with one of her first comments to Ghoul being, I don't suppose for a moment that we can understand why the girl committed suicide. Girls of that class. Now Sheila here prevents her from going any further, but it is clear that she sees the working class as being some sort of lower species in relation to her family, refusing even to believe that people of her class could even understand those of the lower class. Moreover, she, like her husband before her, fails to see why she, or anyone in her family, should be questioned in relation to this case, as she and her family don't mix with lower class people. She makes these feelings known by commenting on the impertinent nature of Gore's questions, and tries to intimidate him by subtly reminding him of her class, with reference to her husband's tenure as Lord Mayor, and his role as magistrate. Such references, however, fail to make an impression on Gore. Significantly, Sibyl is also of the mindset that those in the upper class are seemingly flawless, simply as a result of their class, and expresses shock at remarks about Alderman Mekety's lecherous behaviour. It is this pompous attitude that leads Sheila to say that the family have no excuse now for putting on airs in front of the inspector and acting as if they are better than him, or the situation. Of course, this advice goes unheeded by her parents. Soon Mrs. Berlin's connection to Eva Smith is revealed, and as per usual, she believes that she is exempt from blame. Turning down help for Eva? Not her problem, apparently. You see, there is no greater crime, in Mrs. Berlin's eyes at least, than someone sullying her good name. And what did Eva do but call herself Mrs. Berlin? You can almost see the cogs working in Sybil's mind. How dare this working-class girl assume her own upper-class name? So, of course, the meeting was never going to go well for Eva, due to Mrs. Berlin's snobbery, a fact which she freely admits when she remarks, Yes, I think it was simply a piece of gross impertinence, quite deliberate, and naturally that was one of the things that prejudiced me against her case. She immediately judged Eva, and what's more, continued to judge her throughout the meeting, according to her notions of class, and refused to see her as an individual, or even a human being, recounting Eva's predicament with no feelings whatsoever. Moreover, she was of the opinion that Eva was unable to have morals or scruples as a result of her class, as she describes her refusal to believe Eva's account of turning down a marriage which wouldn't be right, or refusing to accept money from the father of her child. Indeed, Mrs. Berlin shows her innate snobbery when she declares, as if a girl of that sort would refuse money. When Sybil reveals that Eva believed the money to be stolen, Ghoul mocks her, saying, So she'd come to you for assistance because she didn't want to take stolen money? It is clear at this point that Eva Smith refused to accept money because it was stolen, showing that, despite being of a lower class, she still has a very high moral compass, something that Mrs. Berlin doesn't believe can be possible. Ironically, though, it is Mrs. Berlin's own family who have been immoral in their behaviour and actions towards Eva, despite being part of a higher class. Nothing can convince Mrs. Berlin that she has done anything wrong, though. As far as she concerned, she did her duty when she used her status to influence the decision of the Brumley Women's Charity Organisation to turn down Eva's request. This action itself highlights how the rich like to unite together and take advantage of the lower class and the working class. 
The inspector's condemnation has no impact on her. Neither does her daughter's remarks that her behaviour was cruel and vile. Sheila's comment here, though, shows that the inspector has had some impact on one member of the Berlin family at least. Sheila clearly has a growing sympathy with the lower class, while the Berlin parents remain defensive. Now, as Eric takes centre stage, we hear how the final Berlin family member took advantage of Eva. He uses her, as school sums up, at the end of a stupid, drunken evening, as if she were an animal, a thing, not a person. Her resulting pregnancy is a visual representation of how the upper classes exploit the working class. Eva found herself in the most vulnerable position so far. As an unmarried pregnant woman, she would have been judged and shunned by society. Marriage is discussed between Eva and Eric, but Eva herself dismisses it. Indeed, Eric laments the fact that Eva treated him, as if I were a kid, though I was nearly as old as she was. This shows the fundamental difference between Eric and Eva. He has never had to grow up, having been spoilt and used to getting everything that he wanted his whole life. The working class Eva, however, has struggled with numerous hardships, lived in poverty and has had to fend for herself. As a result, she is older than her years and it is no wonder that she is more pragmatic and realistic than Eric. And she does have morals, despite Mrs Berlin insisting that these weren't possible in a working class person, as she did indeed reject Eric's stolen money. With everything now out in the open, the younger generation showing remorse for their behaviour and the older generation just worried about their reputation, we are left with Gould's closing statement in which he asserts that one Eva Smith has gone, but there are millions and millions and millions of Eva Smiths and John Smiths still left with us, revealing to the Berlins and the audience that there is an opportunity to change how we see and treat people. He reveals how universal the suffering of the working class is with his use of the name Smith, a name prevalent in England, both now and then, and how society needs to change so that we all take care of each other as we are, as he says, one body, the human race, and not a divided species. Priestley's socialist message is that the working class should not be dominated by those above, but looked after and cooperated with. Priestley wanted to encourage a real change of attitude, and then for this attitude to be converted into action. As there are still, as he puts it, many more working class people left in the world. We, the audience, are left shaken by the inspector's words, as are Sheila and Eric, but it doesn't take long for the older Berlin to start looking inwardly again. Arthur immediately expresses dismay that he's unlikely to get a knighthood after these events. Eric is shocked and dismayed at his father's attitude, shouting, Oh, for God's sake, what does it matter now whether they give you a knighthood or not? He realises that their actions in Eva Smith's death are more important than their social status within society. If only his mother had the same view. Instead, she again expresses horror at how Ghoul spoke to her and her husband, reverting back to what she sees as the moral high ground of her social class. Even Gerald, who was visibly upset at the news of Eva's demise, looks for opportunities to prove that Ghoul was not a real inspector, in order to avoid taking responsibility. His arrogance here is overwhelming, and it seems that he no longer cares about his own treatment of Eva, or Daisy Renton as he knew her, as he is so keen to denounce the inspector as a fake and prove that there wasn't only one Eva that the family dealt with. The revelation that there is no Inspector Ghoul leads to relief and also becomes the subject of hilarity for Mr and Mrs Berlin and Gerald, 
yet Eric and Sheila are still traumatised by their earlier actions and horrified by the behaviour of the others. Such behaviour seems to confirm that some people simply cannot change and care about others, and indeed that those in positions of power can continue to control and exploit those beneath them without consequence, a worrying image to be left with. Yet at the closing moments of the play, there does seem to be some judgment and retribution on the horizon for the Berlins. A phone call shows that they will be investigated after all. But what does the ending mean in terms of social class? Was there ever an Eva Smith? Was the person who each of the Berlins engaged with the same person? The ambiguity evident at the end of the play seems to suggest that anyone could be Eva or Daisy and harkens back to Ghoul's closing words. This was represented in Stephen Daldry's staging of the play, in which he gradually filled the stage with actors meant to represent ordinary men and women who cast a judging eye on the Berlin's behaviour. In the play, Bruce Lee is saying that any working class person who depends upon a capitalist system to survive could potentially lose everything and end their life in extreme hardship. The poor were not protected by anyone. Priestley wanted this to change.